Welcome to episode 49 of the Light Shed podcast. I'm Brandon Ross with Rich Greenfield and Walter Pisick. A much more subdued introduction this week than in the previous weeks as we've used rockers. But looking at these stock prices, everything is sort of trending towards its right place again. I see discoveries down 19% today. Viacom's down, what, 12.5%. Stock's basically gone from 100 to 57 since the last time that um, that we spoke to all of you. What's going on? It's, um, you know, I think, look, I think the momentum trade is clearly off. I mean, I think that's what you're seeing. I mean, it feels like it was ignited more than anything by Viacom, you know, raising capital. I mean, they went out to raise $3 billion. And really, ever since up. that, look, ever since they did that, the whole group has sold off. But, you know, I mean, the reality is these you also you need- got to get the machines going though that's the thing you get some downward momentum the machines kick in and everything just sort of uh builds on itself well, well but brandon what's been funny is that everyone's been saying like who's buying some of these stocks and everyone's just saying well it's not me it's not me and then you just everyone keeps sort of saying well the machines it's just momentum <laughs> it, you know and i guess it works both ways is what we're learning and it can work very very fast i mean obviously that's you know, you, that's you, how the world works these days in in the markets. Everything just seems to happen a lot faster than it used to. But uh, Walt, well, how about one quick reality check though? Yeah. Game Stonk is still at one eighty nine. So before you start claiming stuff's over, let's look at some of the relative prices. You're saying where they came from, but where are they from the bottoms? No, that, or where they sh- theoretically should be. Game GameStop well, is an exception though. I mean, you look at also some of the kind of SPAC names and names that came out of SPACs. Like I'm looking at skills, which was like a $45 stock not too long ago. It's at less than 19. Okay, well, again, one more I mean, reality there- check. What's what just got SPAC'd? Uh, uh, the poster child of 2020, the WeWork. So while yes, other SPACs might be selling off, we just had an announcement today of the yeah. WeWork. <laughs> Which is, 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 that your, is that your of background? 20? Is that your background? Well, that is that was our WeWork. Well, let's let's go on a like- little let's go on a little journey here. Our journey with WeWork started out when we signed our lease. <laughs> oh, you're By the way, Walt's taking us now. For those who don't watch, Walt just changed his background. Oh, his first background was the construction. We work when we went to look at it. And now he's brought up where we signed the lease and everyone looks so happy. What I noticed, can you move your head for a second? Well, Mark doesn't have a beard um, in this picture, but Mark, for those who don't know, I don't think has shaved since and has (laughs) a like straight on some, some cross between Jim, the anvil night art and um, ZZ top look going on. Okay. Then this is the construction phase. Um, Uh And then we went through the phase of um, selecting. This items. is before, by the way, like, this is the crystals that there was a lot of <laughs> battles because Brandon bought like 500 crystals that didn't fit on any desks. <laughs> what do you do? You guys love the crystals. And then we, battled and by the way, I a, paid for those out of pocket. And then we battled on sofas and there's Joe yelling at the delivery guys because they would refuse to take the, our sofa up to the elevator. Look at the exasperation. Look at, look at his shoulders are crying. He's just so. That was and, one of the angriest I've ever seen Joe 
when he wasn't angry at you specifically, Walt. And then here was the here was when we met our neighbors. This was one of our neighbors, which was a dog <laughs> licking Brandon's face. Rich, His by the way, dogs were allowed. Rich, who I now love, has I love a dog. the dogs. Rich, who now has a dog, would say, "Get that goddamn yeah, dog!" Every time out of he'd our- be like, every time the dog. So next door there was a there was a dog in the office, and I love dogs, and I'd allow it into the office, and he'd like kind of pick through our garbage, but then you know play with us. Walt would, uh, sorry, Rich would be like, "I hate dogs. Get that fucking dog out of here. I hate dogs." Now. now- well, let's move forward. So then COVID hit and then Yeah, but Rich Rich now has a dog and oh, yes, is obsessed true. with his dog. He loves dogs. Well, that's typically yeah. the way it works. Yeah. So then but he had dogs growing up. So he always said anyway. So here's our here's our orchid that was given to us by a friend Janina, who's we when we vacated the office, the, the orchid died, as did our stay at WeWork. Symbolic. Here's us moving out of, of our WeWork office. Um, and of course, here is the empty. Uh, we work office with that terrible that logo with our logo those who are watching was supposed to be clear and they put a white background so it looked like shit everything was kind of half-assed at the we work to be honest so if you if you were wondering whether we come back this is the current workstation that rolls (laughs) around on my deck so when you compare that um to to this yeah not sure we're coming back but we'll see Shall we move to the first slide after that? Let's nice go montage. to the first. What is the first slide this week? I don't even know. So uh, hold on. We're going to go to the first slide. The first slide, you know, just ties back to where we started, which is Viacom. And obviously oh, yes. it started a look, it started a downdraft, but I, I, I do really commend the management team because their stock was overvalued. Everybody knew it. Every investor was perplexed by why the stock was trading at 100. And they they got the deal done at eighty five dollars, and were able to raise three billion dollars. The stock, obviously, I mean, the stock's literally trading right now at fifty eight. So being able to sell stock at eighty five, when you think about NFL cost doubling, trying to compete with Netflix and streaming, I mean, I could have argued they should have raised even more than three billion dollars, but it strengthens the balance sheet. If you're taking a long term approach, I, I think the thing that I'm surprised about, Brandon is that more companies didn't seek to raise capital with these crazy valuations that we saw for a, a really short period of time. But I, I think it was a yeah, smart we, move we by, saw by, some, by We saw some ATM um, offerings there. I think didn't AMC did one. Yep. I th- Game, uh, AMC I think wouldn't Game be alive if one. they hadn't done one. <laughs> right. So I... I was going to say, from what I heard, the reason a lot of these companies didn't do that is because there is litigation risk of raising money at these at these levels. That the management team actually has to, they're the ones selling stock, um, and maybe it's up on different. But with that said, I agree with you guys. Like, if your stock is like if you're game stock and your stock has been up forever, like at some point you can say like, look, like if you want to trade our stock there, then we're going to fucking sell you a shit ton of stock as much as we can to maybe raise the money to, to pivot the business. Right. Yeah, I think that's what, and I think Viacom is in the middle of a pivot. They're moving from basically a company that is completely linear cable networks and trying to move into streaming. And we know the one thing we've learned is that streaming is really hard. It takes major dollars. Viacom, sorry, Netflix is spending seventeen and a half billion dollars on content. Viacom is not spending seventeen and a half billion on content, and so the need to sort of invest. I, again, I think it's the right move. I'm sure a lot of people are sort of questioning whether, you know, this was the right move seeing the stock at, you know, 58 versus 100. But if you're looking out long term, nobody really believed where these some of these stocks were trading. And so I think you take advantage of it when you can. Sure. I mean, yeah. So give them credit for that. 
Um, okay, so let's uh, hold on. Let's go to the next slide. Screen wise. Yeah, I know. No, I know. I'm just Rich uh, is experiencing screen. technical difficulties. Little technical difficulties. As he, as he you know, has I'm, nonstop I'm, since he got to Miami, where he's been well, I think that's the problem. Uh, weeks. Yeah, it's tough. You, you yeah, definitely it's... end up with a little bit. I'm. I was. I'm very a creature of habit, and I have the same setup for the first 48 weeks of this, and doing it different for this week is uh, has me but off kilter have, a little but bit. At least but... you have the vacation look forward to. Now, is there a cocktail of choice while you're in Miami? Is it what? What is the? What's the? What are your? What's your go-to for the weekend? Or is it a light uh, with a napkin? I, I love really Negro Mandala, the dark. Ooh. I mean, that's sort of my favorite beer. <laughs> okay. So just beer. Okay. That's not really a cocktail, but that's fine. That's Brandon, Brandon, why don't you hit Brandon? Just I'm a little confused. There's nothing to be confused about on this. First of all, we're talking about the MSG Entertainment, MSG Networks recombination. So we're staying on the theme of the last slide, which are two, one valuation resets and two pivots out of old media, right? So we talked about this potential deal when the news came out. And what we said was it would be, if they were ready combined, a classic business school case study where you have MSG networks throwing off cash, but in kind of a dying business. And it would be funding the growth company in MSG Entertainment. And we believe that live entertainment is going to continue um, to have strong secular growth once COVID ends. And the Sphere project, which has kind of been much maligned, we actually think is going to work out for, for MSG Entertainment. However, if you're an MSG entertainment shareholder, you clearly don't like this because you wound up buying MSG networks, even though it was a stock deal, after a massive run-up. Um, and we just talked about all of these stocks, you know, running up to places that we didn't expect. And number one, number two is if you're investing in the live entertainment business, you don't necessarily want to own a cable network. So both stocks have wait, wait, hold hammered. on. Stop, stop, stop. It's not necessarily want to own a cable network. I am convinced there's nobody who owns a live entertainment business. I mean, imagine Live Nation waking up one morning, hey, we're gonna throw in Viacom. Like I don't it's think crazy. That I don't think that would be a well received deal, Rich. <laughs> how does the how does the voting work on this, Brandon? Is there a way for an activist to try and block this from happening? Not even not even an activist, but there's going to be a vote on among the minority, the B shareholders, mm -hmm. and I think it needs sixty six percent approval by um, both sets of shareholders. I think it'll probably get there because if you look at the top of the ownership list of both stocks, there's actually a lot of stock that has cross ownership. Um, so you have believers in, in, in both assets um, owning a lot of it. And I'll say that, I mean, is, is it part of like when both rich, if you, if you own both, then it's, you know, it's not a dumb, it's not a dumb deal. Like, I don't think this is a dumb deal for the Dolans because well, let me step back though. Let me step back. Cause I think this is important and it relates to what, you know, Walt's world as well. So like Charlie Ergen owns a business that's sort of a dying business, right? In satellite, but he uses the cash flow to fund something that yeah. he's excited about, which is in wireless. That's effectively what you're setting up here, right? Is you're setting up a classic, classic business school 
um, case study, it's a pivot. So if you're the owner of both assets, it makes sense to to make that pivot and to use the cash flow for one in order to fund the other. And there are some mild synergies, like there's MSG Entertainment has NOLs, MSGN is throwing off cash, um, MSGE's cost of funding has been high. They did, they've just raised debt at 7%. But what you really need to go and show the shareholders of MSGE, especially now, is that beyond just the sphere, which there's plenty of liquidity to complete, there is a real growth strategy here that's going to be capital intensive and that you could use the cash flow from one to fund the other. You got to be really careful though, because those RSNs, which is MSG networks, you know, you lose carriage on one major distributor over the next five or six years, and it's game over, as we've seen with no, what happened with Sinclair and Dish. And so, yes, right now, you know, distribution seems okay, but uh, it is Again, a tenuous if you, position. If you, if you own both and you're a long-term shareholder of both, it makes sense. But if you're an MSGE shareholder and the stock is telling you that MSGE went from 120 to 85 um, since the since, since the leak since came the out, news came out, you may not be happy about this. Okay, let's uh, move on. Disney has overhauled its film slate, so we've been waiting. Bob Chapek, uh, CEO of Disney, keeps talking about flexibility, and every time he got asked about, is Black Widow really coming out? Um, only in theaters. And we now have the answer. Slate shifting around a little bit, but bottom line, uh, it is going to come out in theaters and for a $30 premium upcharge. And they're also going to do the same thing with a movie called Cruella, which is the live action version of, of that movie. That's May 28th. And then um, in, uh, I think in July, you're going to get Black Widow uh, hitting day and date. So theaters as well as $30, but only for Disney Plus subscribers as a premium upsell. And I just want to segue into the next slide because we actually have some data that was published this week, sort of timed for Disney's news. Antenna Analytics, a company that Lightshow Adventures has invested in, uh, just from a full disclosure standpoint, um, Antenna published some data that showed that Raya didn't really drive new signups and that the actual take rates for Raya at a $30 premium price were even less than Mulan. Now, Mulan wasn't in theaters, Raya was. But I think the chart that is up on the screen right now, uh, which is on the antenna data Twitter feed, just basically shows you that this is not driving new signups to the service. You know, all of these movies, you know, Seoul did more to drive new signups than Raya or Mulan. And so when you yeah, include of course, these because, things- because it was free and a $30 price point is <laughs> is just not attractive. And that's that's basically been proven outside of the exception of at the beginning of the pandemic when um, when Universal did trolls. I, I don't understand. It seems so obvious. And we, you know, we did a light shed premium access event with Jason Kylar from HBO recently. And he was just like, you know, everyone's going to figure out that PVOD doesn't work, that it's just not a great business model versus embedding these things in the service, which is what obviously what HBO is doing. I'm just sort of surprised that more people aren't trying SVOD um, day and date. But I guess, you know, for Disney, they think that they've got such amazing product in Black Widow. Maybe they're hoping that putting up a huge title will change the direction of PVOD, maybe. 
And by the way, it's I, I still think that Disney's in an experimentation phase in yep. Windows. They've talked about flexibility over and over. So maybe they're like, let's take one big one, see how it does. Yep. And that's our ultimate experimentation. If it doesn't work, then they just move into doing things day and date with SVOD or not at all on short windows. So I think they're, again, in this continued you know, phase of experimentation, and we'll see what comes out of it. I think that's a good point, Brandon. And, and, you know, Rich, I think sometimes you've been on this kind of bandwagon so long about the death of all this and good luck bundle that like you forget that we're still early stages in, in you know, in kind of this major transition that's happening. So there's still testing that can go on to see how they can suck dollars out of that um, ecosystem. Right. And the pandemic gives you a license to test. It's, it's yeah, kind of it's a free pass. I mean, it technically, they really can't. They should have done this a year ago or six months ago. So, so they're still slow. They just didn't. They, no, they didn't have the high end IP to do this with six months ago. They yeah. did do it, but it was just lower level stuff. But I'm you guessing Rich's instincts. I'm guessing Rich's instincts are going to be right on this. That ultimately it's going to test and it's not going to work. And I don't think it's know, going to get. Yeah. <laughs> right. But whatever. You know, give it a shot. But look, st- sticking on this theme of, of trying new things, I mean, so even Warner Brothers, which, you know, did a basically a day and date deal throughout all of 21, where it's on SVOD for free, meaning HBO Max, as well as in theaters, even they appear to be setting up to go back to a short window in 2022. And I think what's really going to be interesting, they struck yeah. a deal here. So it's Cineworld and Warner Brothers have patched up their differences and reached a deal on the theatrical window exclusivity for 2022 in the US and the UK. And it's basically 45 day window for certain movies. It it seems pretty clear that not all movies are included, but the real catch all. And I think the biggest takeaway that I had from our recent meeting with, with Warner media was they're not talking about there's there's nothing in this release or or news story, but the the real question is going to be, what is the sequencing of windows? Because we've all grown up in a world where movies came out in a theater. Then 75 days later, they reached and you could buy them on iTunes or on Amazon 15 days later. So at the 90 day mark, you could rent them at a red box or rent them online, whatever it may be uh, on you know iTunes or whatever. The question is going to be is, is that the sequence? And they go to HBO four months after that, meaning sort of at the six, seven month mark, or is it 45 days and it's on HBO Max? I, I feel like the answer is going to be 45 days on HBO Max. No one's saying that yet, but I think that'll be the big event is getting movies faster to streaming services at no extra cost. And right, once so, you've so done no charging, days, right. So, but, but you're basically charging day of release is, is, is effectively taking that window and moving it up. Right. It's just how much, yep. how much more do you want to compress? So. I think they're going to play with it and check. And I mean, you know, Paramount seems to be doing the 30 to 45 days and then it goes on to Paramount plus for 22 with a bunch of their films um, you know, Universal still seems stuck in the, hey, we're going to do PVOD only. We're not going to do SVOD early on. But I, my guess is everybody is, to your point, everyone. Well, they just, I mean, Universal just doesn't have a great platform for doing SVOD, right? They have an, they have an AVOD platform. Although I did read something today that they well, may be planning an SVOD. So, uh, so I'm calling an audible right now because you brought it up, Brandon, because it sort of is shocking that there's a story that Claire Atkinson broke in business, or I guess it's now just Insider, 
uh, or Business Insider, I forget which I should call it, but saying NBC Universal's discussed a new subscription video streaming service separate from Peacock. I believe it's called Universal Stream is the name that they're toying around with. So do we need another streaming service, Brandon? No, and there's going to be fewer ones eventually. <laughs> you know, you know my view on it. I don't need to repeat myself for like the seventh podcast. And what's crazy about this is like, <laughs> correct, I agree with Brandon, and like it's more about consolidation than going the opposite way. But even within the Comcast family, like you've heard, I don't know, on this podcast many times where I've, um, or you've seen me on Twitter complain about. EPL between NBC Sports and Peacock and like having multiple different Consumer apps to go confusion. to, and now you want to segment it again on the media side. Like it just why? What? What? I don't understand the point. Well, I, I think mean, the problem NFL. The problem is that well, no, I think they screwed up. Peacock is an ad based service, and they're realizing that for the movie business to work, you need a scaled subscription business, and you can't pivot the movie business to what is an ad supported. People don't want ads in their movies, right? Like they're not going to accept ads in their movies. Peacock is not really focused on their 999 product. Almost nobody from the data we've seen, virtually nobody. I'm a subscriber to the ad-free service, but virtually nobody has subscribed to ad-free Peacock. And so it doesn't, and most people aren't even paying for it because they're getting it free with Comcast. And so you're sort of struggling to get to a point of like, how do you transition your movie business if you don't have an SVOD service? It's why we think an HBO Max and NBC Universal merger makes yeah. so much sense because it yep. gets you that without starting a new one. And what does this mean for Universal Output deal? Obvious. I mean, it's obvious. It just all goes in house. Why can't they just market the ten dollars service or fifteen dollars and make it ad free? I mean, by that argument, HBO Max can't go the opposite way. Where never you, you, your belief is that they would never offer a lower priced ad supported service. That's actually a great observation, Walt. Your basic point is like, isn't HBO effectively doing this by launching ad-supported HBO Max? Now, there won't be ads in some of the content. I assume there probably won't be ads in the movies. Um, it's a great question. Why wouldn't Peacock just sort of focus? The position. You know, yeah, yeah. Focus it basically on the SVOD and get people to pay for it versus giving it away for free. It's obviously a meaningful pivot. But you're right. It certainly makes a lot more sense than trying to compete with yourself, not to mention competing with the whole universe. I mean, hopefully you're willing to pivot. Let's just go back to what we just talked about in trying on Disney's um, part, trying to get people to pay 30 bucks for a movie. Like we just said, why try anything? Like, why shouldn't you look at Peacock the same way? Okay, you tried it. Let's try something different. Like it's I don't think it's a bad thing. We always look at small companies and their ability to pivot when they find out the right business model that works. Like, why shouldn't large companies be able to do the same thing? Well, so here's the problem. I think HBO has gotten to a point of 41 million subscribers just in the US. Forget about, I think, 61 worldwide, all ad free. So they've gotten to a quote unquote scale. Now they're trying to layer in an advertising piece to expand the TAM and grow their gross, you know, gross ads and build the business. Peacock, really hasn't established anything like they're, it doesn't they're, really... they're essentially at a standing start across the board that's what i'm getting at so like party why you not pivot go, though yeah i yeah why not put completely pivot and say hey we fucked this up maybe advertising wasn't the way to go to start let's build a scaled subscription service and we'll layer in advertising over time i just think that's that's a hard pivot for a big company i mean i who, hear you who likes hard. to admit they fucked up <laughs> Well, look, and the other thing is, I don't think the Peacock branding has been established enough that they couldn't just keep the brand and just change yep. what it is and put it forth as a, you know, a true 
you know, Netflix or HBO Max type of, of service. I will say, I mean, I, you know, I, no, who, who knows whether they're actually going to go through with this. I just thought, I just started laughing this morning when I saw the news and Brandon brought it up. It's like another streaming service. Like there's already like way to, too many. It sounds like we need to get someone from Comcast on Light Shed Live to explain themselves. Uh, I think that sounds like a great idea. We're going to work on it. Let them announce it first. Challenge set. Walt, <laughs> Walt, I know this is a topic that you love, so you read this one. It's not that I love it. It's just it's we've talked about this a lot. And and my view on and I'm sorry for the podcast listeners, the the tweet in front of us is the Hollywood Proter talking about um, Netflix modifying the releases for the circle and too hot to handle. I'm not sure what these things are. I think they're like dating they're shows game or something. Shows. Yeah. Game yeah. shows, dating, whatever. Point dating is shows, whatever. <clears throat> point is they're not, you know, you don't have 10 episodes dropping at once. They're gonna go week to week. And and I kind of used to be in the binge camp, and then what changed my mind is is really Disney Plus and Mandalorian, and then WandaVision, and now even what I'm looking forward to to watch um, tonight with my um, one of my kids, which is is um, you know the next establishment of, of the Marvel um, in, in terms of episodic. And we Falcon talked about and like Winter Soldier, Falcon Winter. Sorry, yeah, um, Falcon okay, Winter Soldier. Yeah, um, so. You know what's what's interesting is like Disney has been all about the bin. There's been a lot of debate about this, but here's Disney. Actually, I'm sorry, Disney Netflix actually doing this, going you know week to week. I don't think they have a churn issue. Clearly, their willingness to cut off people sharing passwords means they're not too concerned about churn. But um, you know what i I think it's just the content. I it's the content, sure. right? It's game show content it makes sense probably to do that over several weeks. Um, who the fuck wants to watch game shows well, back to back to back? You could back. argue, hold on, but you could argue they do the it same. with a big series, right? Uh, like, uh, uh, hold on. Netflix is also a company as we talked about last week that loves testing. So you test and learn. And so you keep trying, just like we were talking about syndicating some content out to get data on whether that, that free access, on broadcast somewhere or someplace else drove subscriptions as a marketing tool. I think this is just, you know, trying something, seeing what it does to engagement, learning, assessing. It's not like they're announcing some massive shift on all of their content. That's what I'm saying. I think this is yet another trial. Yeah. It's not like it's a serialized drama or anything. And and by the way, they have done this in the past. This is not the first time that they've done uh, releases they did like three at once and then a drop of three. Like they've played with different yeah. formats over time. I mean, they had, look, they had a talk show, which, you know, Chelsea Handler, which was dropping daily. I just think there's been historically a lot of debate about this next Netflix and, and their representatives and people that really support them. have always said that binge is the way to go. I don't look, I don't see what's special about a game show being weekly. There's no cliffhangers. I mean, there's at least with some of the shows that Disney's putting forth or the one on HBO Max with the, you know, that kind of murder thing was like, there's some cliffhangers that are built into it. There's no cliffhanger in a game show if that's what it is. So if anything, I would argue that this is not an episode of thing that you would, right, would but drop. Is it something you want to, like, I think that the fact that there are cliffhangers makes me want to continue to binge, 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 binge. Anyway. Maybe. I don't know. It'll be, it'll be um, fascinating say to say. Excellent. We're not the target audience for The Bachelor, but I would say that you talk yes, a lot you of people are. love The Rich, Bachelor. You they, love The Bachelor. You watch, you've watched The uh, Bachelor. I'm every, just saying people would say that there's plenty of cliffhangers in The Bachelor is all I'm going to say. Are you, what? The tar- are you the target? 
<laughs> go, go ahead. Right, Walt, right. this is you. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> Verizon 5G home internet has arrived. Get a glimpse. And basically, uh, for the podcast um, listeners, there's a show, there's a truck um, showing Verizon 5G home. So I, I just really, this was a tweet as an excuse to talk about 5G home because, you know, Verizon is now talking about and T-Mobile is talking about going after um, the broadband customer. Cable investors have kind of put that aside. We're also skeptical that both companies um, can achieve something. However, in the past week, um, someone I know has gotten 5G home, and it's very interesting. The the, the device that they got ver- Verizon 5G, Verizon 5G home, which it's a device that does both 5G and and LTE. So this person ordered it based on the location where they had 5G, but then he took that device home and it's operating on the LTE network. And there was a concern that Verizon would say, okay, if you move it out of its geofence, that they would shut it down because they don't want to hurt the LTE performance. Apparently Verizon is not doing that. So you can now buy these devices using it on an LTE network. The LTE network has been supported by additional spectrum, CBRS spectrum, and, and they're going to get C-band spectrum. The speeds he's getting have been for the last week very good and and reliable. Now that can change over time. Obviously, if he uses so much that he crashes the network um, or impacts the mobile users around him, Verizon may change their tune. But but when we talk to Verizon about this um, this anecdotal um, experience, they've said, "Look, we're aware that people are using you know, the, you know this for on an LTE basis. We think our network can support it. If that's the case, and Verizon's delivering." 100, 200, 300 megabit download. Better uplink than someone can get on their cable. Better. Three hold, megabit on. hold on, hold on, hold on. Just, I'm, I'm sitting in a Comcast territory right now in yep. Coral Gables, Florida. I have 150 down and six and a half up. So theoretically better, right? And, to, and, and to we've support. lost you from several Zooms this week, Rick. I, Correct. I know. So look, I am still skeptical. So don't, you know, cable bulls don't come send me 50 emails this week or whatever it is. Like, yeah, I'm still skeptical in terms of, you know, wireless ability to do it. But like, look, there's some there's some early anecdotal reports about how it's delivering speeds and there's a willingness of Verizon to do this on LT. Why is that important? Because a lot of my skepticism is, has been built into like, if you rely on millimeter wave, the reach is very limited. LTE's reach is not limited. And Verizon over the next couple of years is going to drop a shit ton of additional spectrum to support these types of services. So if, it is, if, if they can handle it now on the LTE network with their existing spectrum, that's only going to increase the risk to cable and, or the ability for wireless companies to go after wireless broadband customers. And the LTE spectrum will be freed up because of 5G for mobile? Well, because, because if they get too many additional subscribers who are using a lot um, a, a lot of data, won't that jam up the spectrum? That's a great question, Brandon. So what's actually going to happen is that box that that person has in their home, it doesn't have it now. The next version that's going to come out in Q1 will have C-band spectrum so that when they light up C-band and the 5G for C-band, then that usage will shift onto that network. And that's where that deep spectrum position uh, exists. So I think that's an excellent point that like, if, if they had a shit ton of these box that went out in the next six months that they're going to have to upgrade those people to offload them to this new spectrum. Cause yeah, you're right that at some point there's a limitation because they're going to take some of that LTE spectrum away yeah. 
and deploy it for 5G. So there will be an upgrade, but it's definitely fascinating in terms of a bridge step that they're willing to do until they can get these um, 5G boxes in people's homes. And look, there's certainly question. And the reason I'm still skeptical, look, again, don't want to change anything out there. I'm still skeptical. I think I think cable's still fine in, in the interim. The reason is because I'm not, I'm starting to be um, questioning C-band, like Verizon's non-densification strategy on C-band. I think it's going to take time for them to densify unless they buy some uplink spectrum from Legato or change their tune in terms of adding a shit ton more cell sites in the network. So still skeptical. Can I, can but I just ask one? I just have one question as a follow-up. Why did your friend do this? Well, in this case, the like, person- what was the, what was the reason to do it? Was it just to trial it or was it actually because he had a problem with cable or- this guy, or because you forced him to, Walt, because we always get these text messages from Walt. It's like, hey, what could you sign up for? Yeah, did you check your address yet, Brandon? Brandon, I think, by the way, you should check your address in Jersey. I think you might be able to, to check that one. Anyway, now, there's nothing. This was a person. I have like three addresses. And by the way, this same person tested T-Mobile Home and it. it worked well initially. And then and then it started to degrade over time. So and again, did, we tr- did, not- try, did this person try T-Vision as well? No, I, I warned him <laughs> off of that one. Let's be clear. <laughs> we do not base our research off of the uh, the experience of one person in one location in one city. I just think like, look, it's fascinating. And except when it suits our needs, then we definitely <laughs> do it. <laughs> but let's 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 talk about headline risk. Other people do. Right. I mean, I've seen N sizes of like three and four in, in, in competitors' research reports. So, to the extent that there's headline risk or more anecdotal, like it's the reverse of the negative headline risk of millimeter wave when it launched. And Moffitt had that negative piece out in Sacramento. And then we did the thing in Chicago. So, it, this works both ways. If people get positive anecdotes about how Verizon 5G home is working, it, it, could, know, it, it could hurt cable multiples a little bit just on increased fear of like, there's going to be more noise around this topic over the next few months. The questions become more legitimate as opposed to yeah. when T-Mobile at their investor day said, we're going to hit seven or 8 million homes or seven to million, 8 million broadband customers in, in, you know, in the next three years or whatever the, whatever the date was. And I looked up and cable stocks didn't even fucking budge because no one thinks that that's even remotely possible in terms of impacting that industry. So we'll see. Brandon. Yes, Rich. Would you like me to read the next tweet? I would. From the Sports Business Journal. Sources, Endeavor CEO Ari Emanuel is, quote, quietly hammering out a pricey plan to buy, end quote, the 49.9% of the UFC that the company does not already own. Okay, so Endeavor has wanted to go public for a while. Uh, Years. We all, for years. And they tried once, didn't work. One of the reasons that it didn't work is because First, it was just an amalgamation of a bunch of assets. They partially owned assets a lot of the time. Yeah, no, all partially owned, including the UFC. There wasn't a ton of transparency around it. And there wasn't a real unified story that investors could hang on to, in addition to the fact that they weren't very transparent in the process. Uh, this gives well, what's endeavor- a KPI? Yeah, I said, yeah, I remember asking, so can you give us like a couple of key KPIs? And they're like, revenue is our number one KPI. It's like, okay, that thanks. Was amazing. My model's going to be awesome for this. Anyway, so, um, <laughs> so yeah, you buy in the rest of UFC and you're essentially taking a sports, a fully owned sports league 
public and everything else around it is just you know an enhancement to the overall story it's a lot cleaner of an ipo story it's basically saying hey you know wwe is basically a public league in a sense this is a public league where that has all of its rights you know obviously rights are licensed out in the u.s for you know four or five more years it'll definitely anchor the valuation because no one knew like what should an agency trade at and the company was out there and they wanted a 20 times EBITDA multiple, which was a premium to what they were using WWE and Live Nation at the time. And everyone was was just saying, well, what what should an agency even trade at? Now you can anchor it around the valuation around UFC. It makes sense. I don't know what the structure of that deal is going to be if there is indeed a deal out there. Right. I mean, the two principal owners of UFC outside of Endeavor are Silver Lake and KKR. So yeah, basically, it's smart you know, money. So, look, it would be, uh, you know, I think the reality is it creates a much interesting story. Um, we look forward to seeing if they come back and actually do this. I also just had a laugh, Brandon, when you read the when you read the story that Ari Emanuel is quietly pursuing just with the fact that it's all quietly every, by leaking it to every press outlet. Every, <laughs> yeah, no, that's it. Just it made me laugh when you said that. So <laughs> maybe hoping to get the temperature of potential investors in a newly formed public company. So you want to talk Fortnite, Epic? Sure. Uh, source. This is from Tech Meme. Source: Epic Games is finalizing a billion-dollar round at a twenty-eight billion-dollar valuation, following a one point seven eight billion-dollar round at a one point seven three billion-dollar valuation. Valuation. Oh, sorry, seventeen point three yeah. billion-dollar valuation. Big difference, ten times. Yeah. Um, in July of twenty twenty, um, this I mean to be trite about it obviously makes a ton of sense. We see the valuation that Roblox is getting. I think it's a $35 billion um, company now. You, uh, Epic. Is it, is it obvious that Epic would be worth more than Roblox as a public well, let's, company? Let's split Epic into kind of what it is, right? If you take Fortnite and the ecosystem that's being built around it, and compare that to what Roblox is. And there's much, much, much more engagement on Fortnite itself than there is Roblox with Fortnite Creative and everything else that's coming um, from a UGC perspective as a platform. Then in addition, you have the game engine, I mean, I know these things work together, but like, let's say, no, but like Walt loves which, which is, assen- it makes which is essentially Unity. Although yep. Unity is more of an ad network and it's more mobile focused and um, uh, Unreal Engine is more for like double A and some triple A titles. Um, but you, you kind of put the two together and you have a big fucking company <laughs> that's probably bigger than not probably almost certainly bigger than Roblox. So it right. made so, a ton so of sense to do around here. Right. It, it's just interesting that they're still not going public despite the valuation starting to move. Well, on to- I think that's that's a control thing um, that comes from the top from Tim Sweeney. I think he has, as we've discussed, a very, very long term vision for the creation of the, quote, metaverse. And, and he's going to war to, with Apple and companies yeah, he, like that. That's oh, probably man, a lot easier st- to do you with stole my, You stole my thunder in terms of how much sorry. of those dollars are going to be spent on legal fees. going. <laughs> yeah. Pointless legal fees going after a losing battle against Apple. Uh, very, very, very long-term vision there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, let's uh, 
no, no, let's stay gaming though, uh, or ga- gaming world with, um, uh, I'll just read this. Microsoft's in exclusive talks to acquire Discord. This is to Sarah Needleman at the Wall Street Journal. A deal valuing the chat at $10 billion or more yeah. could be completed next month. Why Microsoft? Let's, let's call it gaming world um, because Discord has moved off of just being um, a communications tool for gamers. To so why don't we just call it interactive media? That. No, yeah. because this is it's also just straight communications. There's it's sort of the central organizing communications tool for a lot of communities that are being built there. It's been used in schools. But you asked why Microsoft? Let's yeah. look at what what Microsoft's asset portfolio is. Let's start with games, right? And the ambitions that they have um building out of Xbox taking it broader with subscription, with cloud gaming, and how Discord is the quintessential communications tool um, within games. You talked about Fortnite. People play Fortnite and chat on Discord. Okay, then let's look at their other um, uh, assets. Microsoft Teams. There's a lot of synergy between what Discord does and Microsoft Teams. Then add Skype. Skype has kind of been a disappointment slash failure for what it could have been. Maybe it could have been a Discord, right? Um, You're right. LinkedIn could easily have a voice player built into it. This fits beautifully, or chat even, right? Um, This fits very beautifully with all of the assets that they already have. Synergies across the board. And there's a fucking ton of engagement. I, what is it? A hundred well, and, and, million and MAU hard. on Discord at this point. Well, and there's probably a lot of companies that can't buy it, right? Like my guess is Facebook can't buy this, and Google probably can't. They were all in front of Congress yesterday. Like my guess is it's going to be hard because for they're players. because they're ready too deep um, in that social and communications world. Whereas Microsoft's a big company, but you know they don't. They're not under the microscope. Yeah. I, 10 billion is is that accurate though who knows no idea uh, but it also remember microsoft was also the company that was trying to buy tiktok so you know we're, we're certainly well, seeing they've microsoft- been dying to do something in in social and communities um and tie that together with you know with the gaming aspect so i mean don't forget they mixer got shut down also they yeah. sold it off so I forgot about Mixer. So Roku, this is Sarah Fisher from Axios. Roku acquires home improvement classic, This Old House, and the latest content investment. You know, this goes back to our top 21 for 21, where we basically said Roku should go out, raise a bunch of money. They raised a billion dollars already. They were one of the companies that actually did take advantage of sort of the surge in in the market uh, and raise some equity um, several weeks ago. But just a steady stream. They did the Quibi deal. They've made a bunch of hires of executives. They've bought a movie or two. Like there is just a steady stream of Roku content announcements. Uh, you know, they're not they're not becoming Netflix. They're not, you know, this universal stream that we all sort of made fun of a few minutes ago as sort of, you know, yet another. I don't think that's their ambition yet. I think they're basically, you know, it, it, this is baby steps, getting their feet wet in content, learning and experimenting uh, much in the way. If you think about Netflix in the early days, yep. you know, getting whatever they could cheap stuff at the margin, learning, understanding What's- and then fueling it. 
was definitely psyched to see that this was a content build out that didn't include Quibi. <laughs> right. No Quibi executives. Last, like, th- no Quibi executives. No Quibi content. Something new. Yeah, but it but it certainly shows all signs, and I don't think the I don't think the investors in Roku yet really appreciate the content push they're making. But I, I think it's very clear that they recognize that competition's coming. This is going to get more difficult. The platforms are going to push back. Create on more over owned. Time. It, create more owned inventory. Yep. I mean, this is like Anthony, leverage your position while you clear, can. Anthony is obviously a brilliant guy, but a clear disciple of Reed Hastings and understanding what's coming two and three steps ahead. Anthony, who, and, Brandon? Yeah. Anthony Wood, Anthony Wood. Who, the founder of Roku, which was actually started at Netflix. So, so now we got the sports business journal again with CBS lands, the rights for series A and the Italian cup worth 64 million euros per year, $75 million for, for the next three seasons. The, the reason I have this in there is it's not like it's a massive contract. What makes it so interesting is that these were rights that were owned by ESPN Plus. And so ESPN Plus, one of their founding agreements as they were getting started was, you know, obviously they did the big UFC deal, but Series A was sort of their push to get European soccer onto the platform. And so it was just sort of interesting, one, that they were willing to let it go. But then on the other side, even more interesting that Paramount Plus, which is just getting started, they obviously did the Champions League deal. I think, Walt, you watched some of that content. Uh, now they're doing Series A. You know, sports is clearly a key part of the Paramount Plus strategy. You know, sort of ties back to, I guess we probably should have put this after the first slide. The reality is this just shows why they need more capital. If you're going to get in and start licensing sports rights, it gets expensive very, very fast, especially for digital. Yeah. Although this is more tail. I mean, th- these are not expensive sports rights. I think it's interesting, though, if you kind of we just talked about Roku and you look at how you dip your toe into investing in content, you start with inexpensive content, build momentum, then shift to, you know, bigger and better content. That's what ESPN plus is doing. They started with Serie A and now now NHL freaking NFL is obviously going and NHL are, you know, core components to ESPN plus and they don't need this anymore. And I think we talked about this, with um uh with wwe what peacock is oh, sorry peacock this isn't peacock in the case but what all these are trying to do is assemble um uh, really passionate fans um yep. of of different verticals um together to build scale um that way yeah, and I, then i, I um, just once wonder they have that then they'll you know try and bomb it out I just wonder, like, you know, obviously you've got WWE had 1.8 million subscribers, right? At sort of the peak. Uh, and NBC is spending, what, a couple hundred million dollars? How much are they spending per year? 180. Yeah. I, I wonder, like, when you put that up against it, 180 million for probably at least a couple million subscribers, how many people come to Paramount Plus for Series A? Like, is it, you know, can you get a million people for that? Like, it seems like a stretch on a, just if I'm comparing Apple's. Uh, to, you know, yeah. apples to apples. It seems like a stretch mathematically, but maybe and, I'm. And I'm we'll thinking of we'll wrong. see what the impact is. Hopefully, you know, WrestleMania is coming up in three weeks, two or three weeks. So we'll we'll two weeks actually. So we'll see what the impact maybe was on Peacock. Who knows? Yeah. 
We've got a betting tweet. Uh, this is from Eben Novi Williams. I don't know where um, that's from, but uh, that's, a, that's a blue check mark. So it's someone real. Yeah, just someone in the news. I don't know. Uh, Fox Sports is buying yeah, 25% we have blue check marks and we're not real. So whatever. <laughs> Fox Sports is bet is five, five, not betting. Fox Sports is buying 25% of the New York Racing Association bets and now has an option for another 24.9% down the line. It's part of a wider evolution from strictly a content brand to a content and gaming brand. And, you know, the reason I bring this up is, you know, we just had a conversation yesterday with Brian Rolap at the NFL where he called out that Fox and Fox Bets was clearly ahead of the curve of all of their peers in media in sports betting. And while it's still early in the NFL's minds in terms of like how they license and work with the world of, of legalized gambling or legalized sports betting, this just to me is yet another sign that Fox is pushing and pushing and trying to transform more and more into something where sports content and sports betting are seamlessly wedded together. Obviously, it doesn't exist in any apps yet. It's still very early. Uh, but, you know, Fox has sort of been on this path for a while trying to figure out how they combine these two things. I keep thinking in the back of my mind, one day we're going to wake up and one of the betting companies, maybe it's a fan duel as they figure out this whole um you know, FanDuel flutter option thing with Fox that does ultimately does Fox end up merging with, you know, the sports betting world, you know, could you see a FanDuel and Fox sports or Fox merger at some point down the line? It just feels like something bigger is going to, is ultimately going to happen as they, you know, to your point of pushing down a path, Brandon, like they're clearly going down the path of sports betting, becoming more and more relevant. Yep. Look at the other fascinating thing about those kind of comments from, from Brian from this week is, is, Kind of being cognizant of the move to streamers and the need for finding better latency, um, realizing that betting is going to be kind of a part of the consumer experience with the product, not a central experience for sure, for, but for some people. And the other thing, you know, part of that was, which I was very happy to hear about is being able to have multiple audio options um, for these football games. Um, as You hate Joe Buck. I'm not going to, yes, that is true. I'm not going to lay in on Joe in in this particular case, but, um, but look, if you have multiple audio streams and you can pick someone who is focused on gambling, because that is your interest as you're betting like, and, and multiple video streams. We talk about the interactivity that's allowed moving to IP using ESPN plus using Amazon, using Peacock, Right, you can have different well, video experiences too. But, some with overlays, maybe some of what Genvid is doing on no. the technology side could be integrated in to but sports betting and be right. This came up action. on our clubhouse. This came up on our clubhouse last night that I was doing on AdTech with Tal Chalos oh, and Innovate Clubhouse. Last no, night. but but one of the things we were talking about is, and I, I forget whether it was Farhad or who jumped in, sort of talking about this issue, but it was like, it's not going to be. This is not a one to many, right? I mean. When you're streaming on Amazon, it's one to one. And so they were like the what you see in the in the in the stadium could look different. Right. Like the the the, the promotions the, like the personalization. Right. Right. And the whole personalization are two things like linear because of Quam linear media call what it is. Linear media has been linear. the same for forever. And there are if the technology is there and again, There are some like Genvid who are building pretty awesome technology to enable different levels of interactivity and personalization. Yeah, you could you could have some great 
differentiated experiences. Well, and right. Like, so I could have, you know, Walt could have the betting one. My kids, if they wanted the Nickelodeon or the, you know, the, you know, the more kid friendly version, like there's so much creativity when you realize that you're not broadcasting, you're, you're unicasting is essentially what it was called out last night. Like you're basically creating a one-to-one feed of video and sure you could layer in whether it's alternative audio, alternative video, like it really could be the ads you see right now. We all see the same. If you're, if you're a lean forward person, right? So a lot of people don't give a shit. They're lean back and they'll take whatever you have, but you know, but I want to even go further. Think about the advertising. Think about how good the advertising is on Instagram. I know Walt never buys anything, but if you think about how good the advertising is on, on, on Instagram overall, there's no reason why that given Amazon knows everything about the three of us in terms of what we purchase, there's no reason why the ad experience during Thursday Night Football in 2023 on Amazon shouldn't be freaking amazing versus anything we're used and to you, in the past. And you're not talking about the ad experience being every during the break, everyone gets this, you know, the same ad. You're talking about a much more integrated they know what's in your experience. cart like they know what you want to buy right like they should be able to deliver a yeah. targeted I'm quality sure Am- I'm sure Amazon has some tricks up their sleeve the bottom line is the NFL who is now a leader in terms of you know being the a central kind of anchor in in content subscriptions just once again showing you know how to how to think ahead and be thoughtful about this and not kind of you know kind of close their blinders and and be open to how the market is is evolving while at the same time maintaining very broad distribution of the product to make sure that there's still interest um interest in the product so it's just a fascinating conversation for sure uh, I agree. Um, let's move on to our last slide and just poke a little fun at yesterday's hearings. This is Alex Heath um, highlighting that Jack Dorsey is liking tweets during the hearing um, and says that's the chef's kiss. And it's that, it's that just- is a very rich Greenfield thing to do, by the way. <laughs> Only you're generally just sending tweets out. Yeah, sending tweets, not liking tweets. Yeah, tweets. exactly. How many tweets do you think Rich has sent during this podcast? I mean, his <laughs> ability to multitask is unparalleled. Yeah, my my. I, although my wife says I can never do two things at once, so maybe you guys see something in me that you know nobody else does. The question was: Was he liking a tweet when someone was grandstandingly asking him a question, or was he was he liking a tweet when like Sundar was like? doing his testimony hopefully i'm gonna go with the former hopefully hopefully it's the former yeah that's so much that that's so much more boss (laughs) yeah i I, we can coordinate those those time and timelines i'd love to know that but i I hope that it would be the former what's our what's our outro music this week Uh, we're we're good night saigon for the outro is this is this like uh in msg <laughs> so let's just sing together. And we would all go down together. <laughs> is this talking about legacy media stocks? I mean, yeah, I don't know. This, this, this is sort of a catch-all. This is so multifaceted, potentially. Your By the way, Billy Joel does have that presence in the That was really good, Brandon. That was really well put it's, together. It's, it's a day that I can poke a little fun at my own buy rating. Down 10%. I do like this song a lot. And I'm not like the biggest Billy Joel guy, but 
He was good in concert at the garden when I saw him. concerts at the My garden. My parents love. And how Lois loves deluded with media. That is episode 49, everyone. Thanks for joining us. Have a good weekend. Who was right, 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 right. Bye-bye.